0: Good morning, there you are, (laughs) my name is Jamie, one of the pastors here, good to see you guys this morning, y'all really wanted to be here, I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying, because you survived a a time change, you survived snowpocalypse 2017, I mean, schools would be closed, but you are here. And so I appreciate that. I'm glad to see you. Glad that we can worship together. Um, two quick announcements. If you have not heard about Nepal, uh, we go to Nepal once or twice a year. And uh, the uh, informational meetings are going to kind of start pretty soon on that. So there's a table going to be in front of our missions wall. If you walk out and you go to the left, uh, you can just look there, sign up, get information there. Jeremy will be there after the service. And then secondly, um, if... You're interested or know somebody you talked to them recently that's interested in baptism. Uh, we're going to do that for Easter. I know we just had a few just recently, but we're going to do that again this Easter. So if you're interested in that or have questions, um, I'd love to talk to you. So find me, uh, you can do info at summitcrossing.org or you can get on the website through, uh, connect and, and, and find out some more information there. But I'd love to talk to you about that. That'll be April 16th is Easter this year. Um, we're going to release starting next week. Uh, prayer directives and focuses and some blog spots each week as we work up to our Good Friday service um, that will be uh, 6 o'clock and uh, we're going to maybe do some fasting together and, and some prayer focuses so just be looking for that on, on social media and uh, be aware of that so, if this is your first time here, what we typically do is we go through books of the Bible. Uh, right now, we're going through Genesis. We're up to Genesis 20 this week. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a break in, uh, when school's out, and I think we're going to do Philippians uh, for some time, and then come back to Genesis a little bit later. And so, we are following Abraham. So, today, here's a question to kind of get us started, right? Have you ever felt the frustration that comes from... Or, or, or say, I know I have felt the frustration that comes from my own deceptions, right? Well, like for me, an idea would be when I'm in a meeting and uh, we're coming up with ideas, and I come up with an idea, and, and people are like, "No, you know, that, that's not a great idea," and then somebody else kind of says the exact same thing. And it like just drives me insane because I don't get any credit for it. And I'm like, that was my idea. Uh, and and then I just kind of brood over it for a while. Or or I, I don't know if you you know if, if you've ever been like you've ever been married. Like if you're married and you suggest something to your wife and you you said it for like three years and then she talks to somebody and then she's like, this is Have you even thought about this? I'm like, I've, I've told you that for years. You just, I don't think you're listening to me. But this is a great idea. I'm like, yeah, it is. Do you, you, I don't know if you've ever been there this is you 're not going to be alone today if if you find yourself there turning bitter it pushes me into cynicism. Maybe you have a particular sin um, that you're used to or simply a default way of thinking. maybe you like to correct everything everybody says because it makes you feel like you've got everything figured out. But no, that's not. It's not there. They are. It's there. T-H-E-I-R. You get to correct everybody's spelling. Something like that. It's kind of the, the direction we see from Abram today. But it goes deeper. A lot deeper. Have you ever said you trust the Lord, but you find yourself solving your own problems? Scrams around, making things to work. We're following Abraham. He is us. In the little things... And in the big things. He's been through a lot. I mean, he, in chapter 12, when we first met Abraham, God said, go. And so he follows this promise. He says, go to a land that you don't know. I'm going to use you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so his descendants are going to be like the stars, right? And God credited it to him as righteousness. He put, then he passes off his, his wife as his sister to Pharaoh, So he's up and then then he's down. And then he's he's building altars in the land and he's thanking God. And then he gives selflessly to Lot his choice of land. Then he rescues Lot, right, from um, being kidnapped. We remember that. He gets Melchizedek's blessing. He watches during the covenant in chapter 15 of the flaming torch, right, as, as he goes through and makes the covenant. He's seen a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of things. And he's complicated as a person, so... What we see in this chapter is it's not just here's good guy and here's bad guy. It's complicated, just like our lives are. They all kind of intertwine. And so three points we're going to do today is, number one, the the promise is in jeopardy. Number two, the promise protected by Abraham. And number three, the promise protected by God. And so the promise here is the one given in 12 and again in 15 where God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. We're going to right the wrongs that sin has brought in, the brokenness, the, the, uh, the disease, the death, natural disasters, all that is coming in, the broken families and relationships, I'm going to bless them. We're going to come and bless the entire earth, and it's going to start and come through you, and you're going to have descendants that are going to outnumber the stars. But the promise is, is threatened in Genesis 20. So, number one, the promise in jeopardy. Abraham once again shows us, they were not that different. He's coming out of Sodom, right? Remember Sodom last week, just blown up, and judged. And he comes out of that, and he's journeying south to Gerar. And he goes into a land where the king is Abimelech. And it's going to be the same kind of thing in Pharaoh. It's just a cultural deal back then that kings would say, I like her. He would take her and put her in his harem. We, did, we saw the same thing in chapter 12 with with Pharaoh. Right, and and Abraham said, "Hey, she's my sister," because he was he was feared for his own life. This was a long time ago. We're about twenty something years into the plan so far. Right when when Isaac is born in the next chapter, it's been twenty five years. But he and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, had a backup plan that you see in verses thirteen and fourteen here. Here's what's going to happen: Whenever we go into a land and the king wants to know if you're my wife, he's going to kill me and take you. So let's just say. That you're my sister. Because we've got to keep this plan intact that God has called us to. And so what happens is, kind of in the, in the story, God appears to Abimelech when he takes Sarah. In a dream, and he says, you're a dead man. How would you like to hear God say that to you? Right? You're, you're a dead man. Sarah is someone's wife. Abimelech is quick to protest, right? So he's saying, I I, I didn't know. I mean, they both agreed that that she was his, his sister and he was her brother. Please don't kill me. I didn't know. And God responds with, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Now, that's curious. Not against her and not against Abraham, but I kept you from sinning against me. That's just a side note uh, on how sin works. We think it's always to somebody else, but it's always primarily to God first. Sin is against God. It hurts us, and it blasphemes Him. And see, He says, "Therefore, I didn't let you touch her." And so he woke up early. Abimelech did, and he called all his servants in, and he fills them in, and, and, and they're all afraid. Right? What? What then did Abimelech, the non-believer, do? He confronts Abraham about his sin. Who's the good guy in the story? It's confusing, right? It's supposed to be Abraham, and it's not. It's Abimelech. What have you done to us? Three questions he gets. What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? And why did you do it? Those are three good questions. Life's complicated. This is a real-life scenario. Like, who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Why? This, this is hard. Then Abimelech, in response to, to the Lord showing up a dream, he, he gives sheep and oxen and, and male and, and female servants to Abraham. And then he follows up with Sarah and gives a thousand pieces of silver, which is a, a sign of Sarah's, Sarah's innocence in all, right? She had nothing to do with this. And, and this lets everybody know that she remained pure, even though she was in the, the harem for a while. He then offers land to Abraham, which is the opposite of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like kicking him out. Get, just go, just get out. And he's like, no, stay, just build, dwell wherever you want. And then in verse 17, Abraham prays for him and God heals Abimelech. And also his wife and, and female servants, they, they were unable to have children at the end, the chapter says, right? They could now bear, bear children for God had closed off. All excuse me, all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. It's a lot going on there, right? Because so, in last chapter Abraham interceded for Sodom and he prayed for the city, and we talked about do we have hearts for the city or, or hearts for those we don't even like? Do we pray for them? And here we see Abraham again, and at the first sign of difficulty, Abraham puts the promise in jeopardy. How? Is the promise in jeopardy? Well, Abraham could have been killed like he was afraid of, right? That's his primary fear. The promise won't be fulfilled if he's dead because God said it's going to come through you. What about Sarah? Now we know that the baby's going to come through Sarah. So if Sarah is taken by the king, Abimelech would become the father of Sarah's child, not Abraham. Therefore, the promise is not fulfilled. Now, maybe Abraham is trying to play the odds, right? Sarah's like 90. She gets pulled into a harem. She's probably just going to be taking care of the other ladies that are in there. And he's probably, you know, let's, let's maybe hedge our bets. Maybe. We're not sure. Either way, no child, no promise, no land, no people. Can you really blame Abraham for the way he's going about this? I mean, he just came out of Sodom, right? And he saw how those folks were treated and what what he had to do to be prepared. He's got to protect your family. I mean, the, the lives of angels were threatened with violence. And so Abraham's probably ready because he's wandered from Sodom, and this is the first place he found himself. What's his priority? Does he protect the promise at the expense of his family, or does he protect his family? And then the promise. Or are those the wrong questions to ask? Are those not mutually exclusive? Because I think the problem's actually deeper. Right? Than Abraham not thinking about protecting his family. And there's there's two fundamental things that, that he's addressing here. And, and what we see is that the Lord is working on purifying Abraham. Because there's in chapter when we get to chapter twenty one and twenty two, you're going to see why. And it doesn't, it doesn't show up until then. But number two, Abraham protects the promise. So what does it look like when Abraham is protecting the promise? We know that it's in jeopardy. Something could happen, right? And, and so Abraham falls into the pattern of trying to protect the promise on his own. When he does that, what we see emerge are fear of man and the self-justifying sin. We, we see these two things kind of crop up. I mean, he, he even means well when he's, when he's doing this. There's this combination of fear out of coming out of Sodom and what could happen to us. There's no telling. And then this self justification of Sarah actually is my half sister. And so it fuels his habitual sin. He's done it before. He ran to it before. This is kind of a plan. They had a plan for this kind of thing. And it just kind of naturally takes over his life. It's his default in thinking when he runs into this scenario. Right, he doesn't consult with the Lord. We don't see him build an altar. We don't see him call out on the name of the Lord. We see him come up with a strategy. All right? He refers to his technique from the past, his strategy. Back in chapter 12, which was two decades ago, the Bible tends to compress time. We all have something like this in our lives. And, and you do too. We all have sins that we are uniquely susceptible to. The ones that you fall into, that I fall into. Right? Think about what is yours right now. They could be really small where I always have to be right. And that just that's more of a, a relational rub. And then there are deeper ones. And this works individually and it works corporately as well. Right? The principle. We as a church can trust our own strategies and our structures and our classes and all the things, right? Which we need them. They're helpful. But if we turn to them first and we trust them instead of trusting the Lord to use them to support what he's doing, we start leaning towards sin. Even in the church. What are you talking about? I'm saying we can trust God. Our structures and, and, and our, our, our band and our contemporary rele- relevantness. We can trust how we come across and our slick plans and programs instead of relying solely on the Lord. And using these structures that are necessary and helpful to come along and support what he's doing. You, you, we have to see the difference there. Otherwise, we lean into sin and we start trusting ourselves and we're moving farther and farther from the lord as individuals it's it's a pattern of sin that we keep revisiting we have become used to it and you may even know it doesn't work for you or maybe you don't know that yet and you find yourself doing it over and over and over again so maybe it's a constant fight or you call it a besetting sin or a weakness and doesn't necessarily put the promise in jeopardy but it severely affects your fellowship and your relationship with the lord I mean, it could be a big thing or a little thing, like we were talking about. Just a quick illustration of me: a little bit, a little bit of vulnerable. Maybe I shouldn't be too vulnerable. <laughs> Love that might, might be dangerous. But whenever I'm late or I forget to show up somewhere because I have places that I'm at a lot, my first inclination is to excuse it. I well, you know, I, I won't say well I forgot. Because that will make somebody think less of me. I won't say, I double booked. I can't just be honest and say I'm sorry because I am a people pleaser. It's what's underneath the lie that I tell. Right. So now that when I do this with you, you can call me out on it. Right. So, <laughs> well, Jamie, are you serious? That's uh, what happens because I love approval from people. And the Lord's working in me. You've heard me say these things. I can't just say I got busy because I feel like I have to have a better explanation to prove that I'm at the level that I think that you think I am. So I have to maintain my identity. I have to maintain what I would put on Facebook if I if I used it a lot. Does that make sense? And so it's a default in my thinking so that I keep you thinking about me where I want you to be. It's a way we think. It's a pattern, a paradigm. It's... Where we don't trust the Lord and we trust our strategy and our techniques that we've developed over the years because we know how to do it It's what abraham's doing And Maybe you turn to gossip. Maybe you turn to cynicism That's another one I do. I'm really good at cynicism Because I know better than everybody else <laughs> Right or maybe it's pornography it Just helps with the pain they're paradigms They're ways of thinking that we develop And we turn to And we trust Where does Abraham run under stress And pressure in this scenario Where does he turn we, we don't hear him call out to the Lord We don't hear that he builds an altar Like he did earlier He's not trusting the Lord He's trusting himself He's trusting his techniques His savvy, if you will and he's trusting the plan that he and Sarah devised. It's a good one. And I pray that God will bless it. You ever fall into that trap? You come up with a great idea, and you, Lord, would you bless this? I'm like, well, no, is it his idea, or is it yours? Because he might not need to bless that, and he might not. And then you're going to get mad because he doesn't bless what you're doing. It's complicated. We want our plan to work. This is a classic case of God's will Done man's way Not God's will Done God's way Why is that Why do these things Have such control Over us It's because there's something Underneath those actions There's something deeper Just like Abraham There's something that lies Underneath why he felt Like he had to lie About his sister He either needed to Control the situation Right or or gain the approval of the king to live, and therefore, he lied. You never lie just because you enjoy lying. Thou shalt not lie. It's in there. It is. But there's always something underneath the sin. There's a sin underneath the sin. There's a causal. There's a source. There's a root reason. It's not always the fruit. It's the root. We have to go to the source of why we're doing what we're doing. Our behavior is just throwing up a flag that something's wrong. It does not go to the motivation. It does not go to the root of the problem. And so when you just, well, stop lying. That's why that doesn't work. Because stop lying is not the problem. The reason you're lying is the problem. Why? What are we trying to cover? What are we trying? Where are we looking outside of the Lord? He feared man more than he feared God. verse 8 through 13, the story just gets ironic because Abimelech, The non believer is calling Abraham out on his sin. (laughs) He comes across as more righteous than Abraham, right? What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? Why do you do why are you doing this? Abraham's he shoots straight. Well, I thought this was a godless place. That's kind of a lame answer. Right? That's lame. And he's, kind of, and he's got that self-justification in there. He's like, well, she is my sister. So he feels kind of good about it, right? Because he's kind of, well, you know, I mean, there is some truth in here. How do you deal with exposed sin? Do you even allow it? Do you have a good enough friend for that? Do you think that it actually happens? Or do you lapse straight into blame-shifting, denial, excuses? I mean, Abraham said, here's his response. I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. So he gets into technical language, right? Here, let me confuse you with logic so that you'll think I really had a good reason for this. I mean, she is technically my sister, so I didn't really lie, so it's really okay. You, you missed the point. You're so busy spinning your story that you missed the important part. You're not trusting God at all. You're trusting your ability to spin a story. And now you got caught, and you're backpedaling. This was our plan, you know, we'd blah, 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 blah. Now, at least he owned it. He didn't excuse it. He tried to. And he told the truth, though. He made a judgment call on his past experience because of Sodom. And he's wrong. He judged those folks. Have you ever used God's plan to justify sin in your life? I mean, that's what's happening here. Listen, God called me out. This was kind of our plan in case this happened. So will you be honest about your life? If somebody sat down across from you and asked you how your walk was going, would you tell the truth? Could you? I say that because I can't tell you how many times I've sat across from men, some of who have been pastors, and said, how are you doing really? Because that's what I enjoy. I believe that's one of the things God has just made me to jump into and I love. It's one-on-one. I feel like I preach sometimes just so that I can do that in this culture. How are you really doing? How is your marriage? How is your walk with the Lord? Where are you struggling? I'm no better than you. I know we struggle. Let's be honest about that. And they'll look me straight in the eye. And I've done it, too. And they'll evade the question or lie straight up and say, oh, I'm doing pretty good. And then several months later, I find out that their marriage is imploding. And so I spend time beating myself up. I didn't know. I didn't look here. I didn't see that. Or they're enslaved to pornography. I just, why didn't they feel like they could say anything? Or they've slowly destroyed a line of friendships progressively by gossiping about the last friendship that didn't quite meet their standard, about the previous friendship. So there's all this collateral damage because we're not willing to be honest. Let's not do that. I'm glad We, we live in a time that appreciates honesty, authenticity, and transparency. People are looking for that. It's because of the Facebook world that we live in. They're not the goal, though. Don't get me wrong. They're great, but they, that authenticity, transparency is not the goal. And so many people hold that up as the, the standard. Oh, they have authentic worship. I'm like, What does that even mean? It's not fake. Okay, great. You can be authentic and real about your sin and have no desire to see it defeated. Let's be honest, but not value the honesty for its own sake. Its purpose is that we might lift one another up to Jesus and strive for holiness. We're, we're on mission. We're following Jesus. We're being conformed to his image. That's the, the purpose. It's his glory and our joy that, that pulls. It comes from that. We're broken people. And need his grace. And we can't have his grace when we don't admit where we are. Hebrews 3:12 through 14 says, "Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart." That's possible in believers? Absolutely. Take care That there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That is a call for us to be in one another's lives, to press into community. Not pseudo-community where it seems like everything's okay. The minute we have a problem, we stop, and I need another group, or I need another friend, or I need to move on. Would you fall into Abraham's trap of evasive and slightly deceptive answers that will eventually... They might not put the promise in jeopardy, but they will put your soul in jeopardy. If there's no one exhorting you, the verse says that your heart can be hardened... The deceptiveness of sin. Slow increments. Who do you know that desires to be hooked on drugs? Who do you know that gets married longing for divorce? Who do you know that plants a church and hopes that it will die? No one. And yet that happens regularly. Sin is... Excused, ignored, or hidden will take us down and lead us away from the Lord. I don't care how strong you think you are, or how solid your theology is. When Abraham protects the promise on his own, he jeopardizes it. I mean, that's really bad news. Sin's pretty bad. There's some good news. That it follows it. And it's so much better than the bad news is bad. There's room to celebrate. But we have to feel the cut and understand that this is no joke. Sin's desire is for you, just like we read in Genesis 4. Number three, when God protects the promise. So, when Abraham... But Abraham is, is where the promise is being fulfilled, right? He is who God is using to fulfill the promise. So he can't, Abraham just can't stand over on the side. He can't just stand there and do nothing, and, and neither do we. God, in his sovereignty, loves to be trusted and, and has constructed the plan for the world, as well as the lives of his children, to flourish and thrive to the degree that they are helpless and dependent on him like children Okay Get that he, he has constructed the plan To the degree that we are helpless And dependent on him we, th- we flourish We thrive That's how he In his sovereignty set it up Abraham Wasn't helpless enough yet He had a plan he wasn't dependent enough yet. He knew what to do. He was unlike we read about Jesus in John five, verse thirty, where it says, He says, I can do nothing on my own. But what I see my father doing. Right? Embrace your state of need. Don't push against it. It is the doorway to power, to God Himself. To grace, we run into it, not away from it. We don't. Oh, I'm excited about it. We're like, I need you, Jesus. It's how we were designed to live. It's how we endure. You know, I, I have a friend that I don't know. I'm, I'm from Mississippi, so when you get to Easter time, there was this popular thing to do back then. You would buy these little chicks that had just hatched. And you would give them at Easter, and then they would grow up. They had, that, you know, like you would paint their bills like purple or blue or something to know that they came from, I don't know, farmers market or something. And so you would raise this little chick, and then when it became like uh, a chicken or a goose, I don't know, it was like a goose. Where you'd release it at the the pines. And so this guy, he he got one and he he raised it, and he had two other dogs, and so it was kind of like a little dog. So it would follow the little puppies around and follow the dogs, and it, it almost like it would bark. He called it Bowser, Bowser the Duck, and and that was its name. And so when it came time to release Bowser the Duck at the ponds, because that's what you did. Everybody came and took their Easter ducks, and then he released them sometime in the summer so they could fly and leave. Um, this duck didn't know it was a duck. This duck thought it was a dog. And so when he, he kind of threw it out on the water, that duck went nuts, right it was just, it was just flapping around and was trying to it didn 't want to sink right because it 's not a duck it 's a dog and dog's, and dog 's going to sink and it 's going to go down and, and it was hilarious, but the, the duck 's not not a dog, and the duck didn 't know that if the duck would just chill, the duck would float, and so he finally wore himself slap out and just keeled over, just not dead. <laughs> And he just floated. And when he told that story, it just occurred to me. We try so hard to come up with strategies and techniques and ways to live and defense mechanisms, coping mechanisms, and we try so hard to be something that we're not. We don't know how to just enjoy that we're dependent. We push against it. We fight against it. We think it's wrong, and we try to do everything ourselves to either prove and get God's approval, Or get our own. Or somebody else's. And we don't know how to rest in how we're made. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how we endure. God is creating unusual dependence in Abraham right now, right? So that he can use him more. When you renounce your dependence on yourself and your natural abilities, It opens the door to the Lord. We'll see it more in chapter 22. When you embrace your weakness, your need, your dependence, you open the door to the Spirit working mightily in you, to experiencing His power. Not you trying to gin up your own power, your own white knuckle in it. I'll do it this this different this time. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. This time I'm going to do it right. No, you're not maybe you're not ready yet maybe you're like Abraham you need to go try again until you get tired enough to realize it's not going to work you just flop around on the water you're still thinking you've got some things figured out or maybe you haven't crashed hard enough yet and like Abraham you've got a plan here's what's going to happen I've still got energy (laughs) I had a lot of energy in my 20s I don't anymore And when you do get ready, this is how you lay down and lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. You embrace your weakness. Because if you don't, sin is lurking at the door. Then you're free to set your eyes on Jesus and follow him with everything that you have. This is how you lay aside sin. The power of a new affection is way stronger than you trying to stop sinful habits. When you love something new, you're not working on trying not to do something. You see the difference? Oh, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop looking at that. I'm going to stop talking to my wife like that. Good luck. What you're going to get is tired. It's got to be a new affection that's stronger than the sin is. You're going to have to love something good more than you hate something bad. You've got to stop trying to stop sinning. And when you see Jesus, you look to Jesus, when you welcome your weakness, you'll stop trying to just quit sinning. But you will quit sinning because you're looking to Jesus. See the difference in religion and the gospel? Religion, I've got to quit this. I've got to stop this. I've got to keep these rules. I've got to do all this stuff. That's not the gospel. That could be Hinduism, Buddhism. I've seen it all in the country where they're from. It's not Christianity. The Ten Commandments will no longer be rules for you to keep, they will become statements about your character. Because it's about a relationship that you've got to know that you're dependent on him. Otherwise, sin is at the door. It's going to eat your lunch. It loves religious people. That's why Jesus spoke so sternly to the the religious folks, the Pharisees. They don't even know that they're blind. And they do it, and they sin in the name of God. I've done that. You have no other gods before you. You don't covet. You honor. I mean, that's who you're going to be, because Jesus is conforming you to His image. It's His power that's transforming you, not your moral uprightness. And there's more hope in this story too. You'll see that God inflicts uh, Abimelech with some kind of deal that just it needs healing, right? He, he, it's like, well, I didn't approach you. She didn't, I didn't approach her. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe God did something, made you where you couldn't. Maybe you just... He saved you. That's what He said. He kept you from messing the promise up. Verse 17. God always keeps His promises whether you do or don't. That's good news. I ought to be jumping up. I'm, I'm torn this morning. is is It's good news. In God's sovereignty, His will is never thwarted. But your joy and involvement will be marginalized when you run away from me. I mean, isn't it awesome that the plan, the advancement of the kingdom doesn't depend on me? <laughs> I'm so happy about that. It's not on my shoulders. And yet, like Abraham, I'm not to sit on the sidelines. I am involved. My sin doesn't disqualify me any longer. It bothers me. I hate it. I want to repent. I want to turn away from it because Jesus' grace is so amazing. And so it doesn't disqualify me because of the cross of Christ. That's the gospel. We don't get what we deserve. We get a thousand pieces of silver and, and oxen and we get all this stuff. We don't deserve that. Abraham doesn't deserve that. No, not at all. It's called grace. What he deserves is to pay for his sin. And since God is sovereign, he has the ability. Here's the beauty. Look at the beauty in this story. He has the ability to even use our sin for his own purposes. That's not a license to sin. You don't love God if you love sin. It's showing the power of God to even use sin because of the cross. It's not an impediment to him. What does that show you, Jimmy? It shows me that he doesn't love me for what I can do for him. He just loves me. Abraham, I love you. Man, you messed that up. It's not going to mess my plan up. Will you follow me more closely? Why didn't you turn to me first? And the father heart comes out. Man, that's something to celebrate. He doesn't drop Abraham. In fact, what happens is Abraham grows in his faith here so that he can be the man in 22 that does what he does there which I am nowhere near that. I can do this. I can do chapter 20. I got chapter 20 down. 22, can't touch it. You have to come and see what that's about. This story should do something to your heart. it should make you want to know God more. To push past the superficial, the performance-driven, superficial acquaintance level, it should make you want to dive deep with a God who acts like that, who loves like that. We've got to live with gospel intentionality. We've got to admit our wrongs to one another. We've got to stop living in the dark and hoping things will just get better and sin will just get better on its own. No one drifts toward holiness. No one. We're becoming more like our Father. And we desire to shed those sins that are holding back our joy and that are feeding our fear of man. There's so much more out there than we realize. We settle for so little and call it great when God says there's so much more. I just want to spend a little bit of time. Worship team, you guys can come on up praying. What we do here is we spend time praying in response to the Word. There'll be three directives that are going to be on the screen. The first one is simply ask God right now. Don't wait till you get home. Don't wait till Monday lunch break. Don't go home and take a nap. Right now, we're going to ask God to reveal what sinful patterns need exposing in our lives. You're just talking about sin a lot today. Well, it's it's there. Let's let's just call it what it is because grace is greater than all our sin. Number two, what do you need to repent of today? Who do you need to tell? Ask God for courage. I don't want sin to wreck our lives. I want God to be glorified. I want us to be healthy and flourishing, to have healthy marriages, to have healthy friendships, to have healthy relationships, to love the city well. So pray for a desire for holiness and singleness of mind to look to Jesus daily. Let's spend a couple minutes doing that. I'll finish in prayer and then explain um, how we take the Lord's Supper very quickly.